Hello everyone and welcome to our time together in the Word of God today. The burden on my heart for our time is that we come back as the people of God to the God of the Bible. By which I mean we come back to the God that has revealed himself in Scripture. Because within the church today there are various notions and ideas and imaginations of what God is like that is not altogether founded upon what the Scriptures say. And it's so important that we get our understanding of who God is through the Word of God. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll begin to look at the Scriptures together. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love for us, for your care for us, for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Do we ask, Lord, that you would anoint my lips to speak what is on your heart. You would direct my thoughts by your Spirit. And that, Lord, we may learn of you. We ask, Father, that you would speak, that we would know the burden of your heart our time together. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Proverbs chapter 9, please. Proverbs chapter 9, and I'm reading verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And it is really that last phrase that I want to underline for us for today, that the knowledge of the holy is understanding. If we come to a right knowledge of God, we come to a true understanding of who he is. We need in these days, dear brothers and sisters, to come right back to what the scriptures say concerning who God is that we make sure that there is a clearing out from our heart of any notion of God that isn't founded in the Scriptures. And, and we need to know, once again, that submitting of our hearts to what the Word says concerning God in the Scriptures. You know, so often I fear that the reason we come to wrong notions and views about what God is like is because we want to take God and bring him into um, the image of the kind of God we want to believe in in order to accommodate the kind of practices that we want to practice and the kind of lifestyles that we want to live. May God have mercy on us that there are those who preach from the pulpit views of God that aren't founded in the word and so distort his person before the congregation. I think this is a terrible thing. And it's so important that all of us, that we begin to meditate more and more upon who God is, particularly in these days where we see the elevation of man's opinion above God's word. We need to come back to looking in the word of God and asking the Lord by his spirit to reveal who God is. Because your understanding of God, my understanding of God, will profoundly affect the way we live. You see, as we were saying it, it, before, it, it's not so much 
whether I believe there is a God. The important thing is what kind of God do I believe in? What kind of God do I know? Do I know the God as revealed in Holy Scripture or do I have the God of my own imagination which is nothing less than idolatry? Or do I have a mixture? Are some of my thoughts right and my concepts right concerning God as revealed in the Word? But have I picked up some notions along the way about God that are simply out of my own heart or what I want to believe about Him? Oh friends, we need the knowledge of the holy in these days. You know, in Jeremiah, the Lord speaking to his people says this in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Oh, let him that glorieth, glory in this, that he understandeth. Now the word understand there means to look at, to attend, to turn the mind to. Do you know, do we turn our minds to the Lord when we open the scriptures? Is the desire of our hearts to have a greater understanding and knowledge of God when we open the word? Or are we simply seeking to assimilate information about what the Bible says when we open it? Or is it in our hearts that we want to come into a deeper knowledge and reverence and understanding of the God that we worship, the one that has saved us and redeemed us and brought us back to himself? Is that the desire of our hearts? This, is, this needs to be um, the, the first thing in our hearts, that we want to get to know the Lord as is revealed in the scriptures. So understanding means to look at and then to knoweth which means to perceive, to come to the knowledge of, by means of hearing and seeing, by means of experience. And you know, as we open the scriptures and begin to meditate on the God of the Bible, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to us his nature. It's a wonderful thing to come into a fuller knowledge of God by means of the Spirit teaching the scriptures to us. It's tremendous. And uh, would in inevitably, if we want to go on with God, the more we see of him, the more we want to worship him. Because we love him for who he is, not for the image we're trying to create in our own minds. Brothers and sisters, I want us to really get a hold of this. There is such a need in our day for us to come back to God. Literally back to God. Back to who he says he is. The person who's is the greatest authority in the whole universe on what God is like, is God himself. And as he has revealed himself in the word to us, let us take note and heed to his nature, to his character, to his attributes, to who he is. And let us love him for who he is, not trying to change him, to make him compatible with a society that is in nature rebellious towards God. Let us try to um, seek to love him for who he is by the, his grace. Seek to come into a fuller knowledge of who he is by means of the Spirit. This is what we need, dear friends. And it's going to be counterculture. 
if we're going to believe in the God of the Bible. But that is far, um, um, it's a far greater thing to believe the God of the Bible than to believe what men say. Why are we so persuaded by men's opinions? Let us get back to what God says about himself. And it won't be popular, but we're not here to be popular, are we? We're here to honour and praise and glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. May he be the person that we're seeking to please in our lives. And actually, the God of the Bible is the most wonderful person to know. When, he be when the Lord begins to reveal who he is to you, what a glorious thing it is. So let us glory in this. That we understand and know God. That's the most important thing for us. That we come into a right knowledge of God. Because a wrong knowledge of God, as, we, as we've already uh, intimated, results in wrong practice. And it leads to captivity, as the scriptures say. We read this in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 13. Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. And their honourable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Why are the honourable men famished? Why are the multitude dried up with thirst? Because the people have no knowledge. And lack of knowledge leads to captivity. It doesn't lead to freedom. Often we think if we have our own ideas of what God is, that will bring us ultimately into liberty. But it doesn't. It's the deception of our own hearts to think of such an idea. The truth is coming into the knowledge of God as revealed in the word of God brings us into liberty, brings us into freedom. It's the lie of the enemy and of our own hearts to believe that if we make a God in our own image, somehow we will be able to come into freedom because we will be able to live our own lives. This is complete deception. And, you know, within the church, we have false notions of who God is. And there are multiple reasons for it, but I've already stated some. But the idea that uh, we try to make God relevant to society in order to uh, get people into our churches, in order that they can live their own lives uh, free from anything um, that may be difficult for them within the Word of God, is foolishness. Because actually living our own lives do, does not lead into liberty. As we've already stated, it leads into captivity. We find it here. You know, in the book of Hosea, and chapter 4 and verse um, 6, we have these words. Let me read them to you. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou should be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. What a terrible situation for the people of God to have been in. You know, we can go into captivity for lack of knowledge. And lack of knowledge ultimately leads to destruction. So it's so important that we come back to what the scriptures say. And we have the knowledge of God on who God is. You see, the knowledge of God is essential for us to worship him in a way that's pleasing to him. 
If we have a false view of God, our worship by nature will be low. It will be base. It will be something other than what God has prescribed in his word. And we see that today, don't we, dear friends? With, with some places that we go, we, we can go into meetings and there's such loud music and the drumming up of emotion and, uh, and, and lights going everywhere and smoke from the floor or whatever it may be. And you feel that you're in a little more than a rock concert that you could go to in the world. Not that we should want to go to these things in the world, but the point is the church should be different. Our worship should be different from that of the world. And I'm not saying that those people who go to some of these Christian meetings are not sincere. The problem lies in the fact that we don't know the God of the Bible as we ought. And I think if we would come in to a greater knowledge of who God is, we would be more reverent in our attitude of worship toward God. We'd be more careful, more circumspect in the way we worship him. There would be a holy awe in our worship that is so often sadly missing today. But why is it, dear friends? Let's ask the question. Why is it that within church so often there is a lack of the fear of the Lord? Is it not because we don't believe we have a God we need to fear? You see, the root of the problem is our wrong perspective on who God is. If we have a right perspective of God, a biblical perspective of who God is, of his nature, of his person, of his attributes, what a difference it would make to our lives if the truths of the word concerning the nature of God are revealed to us by the Spirit of God as we study the word. What a difference I believe it would make to us. It's the knowledge of the holy we read in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. You know, dear friends, the word of God shows us that the people of God at times really didn't know who God was. They didn't know him as they ought. I mean, we find this in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 3, where the Lord is speaking of his own people. And he says, the ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people does not consider. You know, these are the things that God says about his people in the word. Isn't it extraordinary that the people of God should not know God? But this is, the, this is the condition that we can come to, whereby we can have meetings in the name of God, but we don't really know the God we're purporting to worship. You know, it says in Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 22, these words, let me read them to you. Again, the Lord speaking, For my people is foolish, they have not known me, they are silly children, and they have none, none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. A tragedy. You go in in Jeremiah, um, and you go on to chapter 9, and verse uh, 3. We read these words. And they bend their tongues like their bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, 
saith the Lord. And then we go on to read in verse 6. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. How tragic it is when people who claim to know the Lord don't really know him. And the same can be said in some places of us today, in the church today, can it not, dear friends? That we have a form of worship. We have an idea of what we believe concerning God, but we don't really know him as we ought. And deception comes in when we have wrong perspectives on who God is. And we need to come back to the God as revealed within the word of Scripture. If we do not do that, we will end up finding that our Christianity will go swiftly into deception because we've got a wrong view of the God we're worshipping. And uh, we read about this change of view on who God is in Romans chapter 1. This is very instructive for us, I believe. Romans chapter 1, and uh, I want to read from verse 22. Let's read from verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Did you catch that phrase? Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonour their own bodies between themselves." Notice what happens, the downgrade, the going downwards in morality, in purity, in light of lifestyle, when people begin to change the glory of the uncorruptible God into some form of image. And friends, this word is so up to date, is it not? Could we not have thought that this particular scripture was for us today? Indeed, I believe it is. We've changed the glory of God into an image. Now it might not be a literal image of some idol physically uh, or materially rather that we bow before. But nonetheless, when we take something of the nature of who God is and change that into the image of the God that we would like to worship, that is idolatry. You know, A.W. Tozer in his book on the knowledge of, of, of the holy, said this, The idolater simply imagines things about God and acts as if they were true. Perverted notions of God soon rot the religion in which they appear. And that is so true. We see it all around us. False notions of God that have come in and it's rotted the religion. Within our societies, it's, it's brought a rotting in of the standards of Christianity within our nation because we've changed in many areas the glory of the uncorruptible, 
uncorruptible God into an image of the kind of God we want to believe in. The result has been in been that immorality and all kinds of perverted um, sexuality has come in, and there are churches that say nothing about immorality amongst the ranks of God's people. They just accept it. And uh, there are churches that will perform civil partnerships and all these kind of things that are, are not according to the Word of God. And we need, brothers and sisters, to ask ourselves, where did all this go wrong? Did it not go wrong because we started wanting to believe in a God that's different from the Word of God? Or how foolish our hearts are. How darkened they can become. How we need the Lord to change us. And to bring us back to who he is. To bring us back to light. And truth and righteousness and purity. Within the house of God again. One of the things I think that we um, lost sight of. Is the holiness of God. And his purity. That there's no sin in him. That the Bible says that, you know, God is angry with the wicked every day. He's a God of justice and, and judgment, as well as a God of love. But today, very often, the kind of impression that you get with uh, some, in, among, in some church circles, is that purely God is love and he doesn't judge anybody. It's almost as though we've come into a view of God that is benign. He, he doesn't harm anybody, he won't hurt anybody, he just loves people. A sort of form of universalism where everybody's almost accepted by God. It doesn't matter really how we live, just as long as we um, perhaps come to church on a Sunday, sing some hymns. But you see, the moral decline within the church is the result of the fact that we have come away from a right view of who God is as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. And if we had a right fear of God, what a difference it would make to the preaching that goes on and to the way um, that we live our lives in the home. Um, it would make such a difference if we got back to bringing forth the reality of who God is to the people of God, his nature. And that's why, really, the burden of my heart is that in weeks coming, we might, God willing, look at what the Bible says about God and not just take one facet of, of who he is and make that everything of who God is. Because that's what tends to happen. We tend to take an aspect of God's nature and make that everything in order at times to accommodate the way we want to live. And in the end, we'll find that we're worshipping a different God. Dear friends, who do you say the Lord is? If somebody came to you and said, what kind of God do you believe in? What would you say? What would I say? Would our response be the God that is revealed in the scriptures? Or would it be the God of our own imagination? Which is nothing less than idolatry. Or God save us and spare us. May we know a, a, an understanding of whether what we're believing is the result of what the scriptures say. Or just the result of what men have said about God. We need to know who he is and come back to him. 
And really, we see that this ongoing passage in Romans 1, speaking of the immorality that came in, is the result of the fact that men changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. May God help us, dear friends. You know, an example in the Old Testament of when the people of God change the image of the uncorruptible God into an image, which was material, is found in the book of Exodus concerning the matter of the golden calf. And I just want to turn to that passage because it's so um, relevant to what we are speaking of. So in Exodus chapter 32, Exodus chapter 32. Now, um, before we look at this verse, just to give the background that Moses had been called by God up the mountain of God. We read of this in Exodus chapter 24. The Lord called Moses aside from the people of God. But it's interesting, before Moses went uh, finally to be with the Lord for those 40 days and 40 nights, we read these words in verse 3 of chapter 24. It says, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said will we do. Now that's interesting, isn't it? In verse 7 it says, And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said we will we do, and be obedient. Then in verse 12 we read, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone, and a law, and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. Very well. Let's go on to chapter 32 and verse 1 where we read, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool. After he had made it a molden calf, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation, and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow, and offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink, and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. What a tragic situation amongst the people of God that happened here. But there are some significant things that I believe it would be good for us to focus on in relation to what we're speaking of concerning changing the image or changing the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. We see something of that 
worked out in this passage here. So we read that because Moses had delayed his coming down, that the people gather themselves to Aaron and ask him to make them gods. Isn't it amazing? The delaying of Moses coming down found out the hearts of the people of Israel, where they were. They'd only spoken to Moses recently saying that concerning the law, they will do everything in it. They will obey the law of God. They will be obedient to what God has said. And when Moses delays coming back, immediately their hearts are turned to making idols for themselves. And so Aaron goes along with this and he uh, asks them to break off their earrings and they take their own treasures, give it to Aaron. And then we read in verse 4, and it's speaking of Aaron, and he received them at their hand, that is, all the earrings the, um, that, were, that they brought unto him, and fashioned it with a graving tool. Now the word fashion there means to form. It's derived from the idea of cutting and to make. Aaron was cutting something out. He was making something out of all these earrings that had been given to him. And then he, he makes a molten calf and says, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. I mean, the idolatry and the turning away from God, how tragic it is. And then he says in verse 5, And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. To the Lord. Not to the golden calf. Not to the molten image of his calf. But to the Lord. In other words, he's saying that this is the Lord. That they're worshipping the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And they, then the people come together the next day and they offer burnt offerings and peace offerings. Things that should be offered unto the God of heaven. And they're offering it unto this calf in the name of God. And you know, dear friends, this is something that can happen. We can have an idolatrous image of God and yet we're using the title of the God of the Bible as the, and, and say that we're actually worshipping the God of the Bible. We use the name Jesus. We use the name the Lord or um, uh, the God of Abraham. We will use the name that God gives in his word. But actually, we're worshipping somebody different and other than has been prescribed and shown us within the scriptures. Such a danger. And just, dear friends, because people say they're worshipping God and that they're Christian, it doesn't necessarily mean that the God that they're worshipping is actually the God of the Bible. The key thing is, are we worshipping God His way and is our understanding of who God is revealed to us by the Spirit through the Word? That's the key. Otherwise we're getting into form of, forms of idolatry and yet using the right words. But having a wrong image is so dangerous and it's a deception. And this is what is going on here in verse 5. Then verse 6 says, And they rose up early on the morning, uh, on, on the morrow. I've already said this verse, but let's read it again. And offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. 
It's interesting that the word play from the Hebrew literally means to laugh outright, to jest. And also, the many commentators uh, say that it speaks of sensual behaviour and sensual dancing. So immorality has come in as well. So there's all this laughing amongst the household of God. Jesting, uh, frivolity. Friends, don't we see something of that? Haven't we seen something of that? Even in recent years, haven't we seen people laughing their heads off in church services and then saying God showed them to do it? They laugh and even scorn seemingly mock. Yet they're laughing and they're saying it's all part of worship to God. And there's frivolity and there's lightness and there's jesting and joking and speaking jokes about God in the house of God it, during the time of worship. We've seen it. It's been, it's been revealed that these things have gone on. They've been um, videoed. They're on camera. The people have been laughing and mocking. And we know there was this seeming laughing revival that was supposed to have gone on in the 1990s that was meant to have been of God. And I remember during that period of time hearing and seeing something of the manifestation of what was going on in the house of God and people laughing, rolling on the floor and then afterwards saying, I had to laugh, I had to make these sounds or, or make barking sounds or whatever because I couldn't do anything other. And they say they just, that the God took them over and they're out of control. There was no self-control. In some of these places. And yet the word of God shows me. That the spirit is the spirit of self-control. And yet these people are out of control. Surely something of the problem lies in the fact. They have a wrong view of who God is. And they have their own image of who God is. Who can laugh and jest and joke. In the presence of an almighty, holy, awesome God. How can we be like that? I'm not saying that as people that we're not to be joyful, that walking around looking sad all the time is somehow spiritual. Of course not. In the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy. But jesting and mucking about and joking and all kinds of strange jerking within the house of God. Isn't it that we've taken the name of the Lord and created for ourselves some kind of image of God that's other than what he's shown us in his word? Surely our practice would be different if we come back to the word of God. Instead of out of control laughing in a wrong way. Oh friends, there is a laughing that we, we have joy and we have everything like this with the Lord, of course, but this kind of way in which people were laughing just there was almost areas of mockery that were going on within the house of God how is this honoring the Lord what went wrong well what went wrong here in Exodus 32 was that they were saying they were worshiping God but they had an image that was not of God that they were bowing down to and it doesn't, as we've said earlier, have to be a material image. It can be an image conjured up in the mind. Oh, God forbid that we as the people of God worship the living God in a way that isn't compatible with the God of the Bible. Where is the reverence? Where is the love of who God is? 
Oh, there's joy in the presence of God. There's life. There's all these things. What a glorious thing it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not to be dry and dull and empty, certainly not. But, oh, dear friends, this kind of goings-on that we read in Exodus 32 is the result of changing something in our perspective of who God is. And so we read, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go thee, go down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly. And the Lord goes on to say unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Now isn't Moses' response after this just incredible? You know, if you and I were Moses, wouldn't we be saying, well, praise the Lord, the Lord wants to make of us a nation and a people. These people have caused me trouble. If the Lord wants to make a people out of me, I'm quite happy for that. That's what many of us would say, but Moses doesn't. He says, and Moses besought the Lord his God and, and said, Lord, why does thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a great and with a mighty hand, wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou sworest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto thy, your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tablets of, of the testimony were in his hand. And, the, and, and then he goes on to say, the tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And then we go on to read that the, Moses sees Joshua in verse 17. And he says unto Joshua, there is a sound or there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. It's quite a passage of scripture that we've just read. But Moses intercedes for the people of Israel before God and stands in the gap for them and the Lord relents of the fierce anger which he was about to bring out upon them and then Moses goes down the mountain and he sees what's going on and there's a holy anger in his own heart and he throws the tablets of stone down and they're broken on the ground and oh friends what a breaking of the law of God there was amongst the people of Israel that day they change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image 
And oh, we do need to pray that God would deliver us from such idolatry. But see what happens. The result of them turning away from the true understanding of God to an image causes them to get into immoral practices. It's the same sort of downward spiral that we see as mentioned in Romans chapter 1. The changing of their understanding of God to an image ultimately resulting in immoral behaviour. Here we have it. We have it here. The corruption, everything. Extraordinary. So sad. But dear friends, there's another aspect to this particular um, truth um, and passage of scripture that I, I want us to focus on. And it is simply um, this. In the word of God, Moses is a type of the Lord Jesus. Some, past, some parts of scripture you go through and you see that there's something of the Lord Jesus that is represented in Moses. Not in everything he did, because of course Moses, Moses wasn't perfect. But you go through some passages and you suddenly realise that this is speaking of the Lord Jesus. And this is one of those passages. I remember a number of years ago now, when I was in my bedroom in another house from, from where, uh, not where I live now, but elsewhere, and I was meditating on this passage and suddenly I realised that this really speaks to us of the Lord Jesus. And the reason I say that is because Moses, you find, went up the mountain and it, it, the, mount, the, the, uh, the top of the mount was hidden in the glory cloud, as it were. There was a cloud that descended on the mount and Moses was enveloped, as it were, in that cloud and he went and was spending time with the living God with the Lord in the cloud and suddenly I realized it speaks to us of the Lord Jesus before he was ascended he was on the mount and uh, the Mount of Olivet he was up on this mountain and then he was taken from the disciples and he was hidden in the cloud and he went to be with the Father he went to be with God and then in Exodus chapter 32, coming back to verse 1, the people see that Moses was delaying his coming. That Moses was delaying his coming. Back down again. And in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, we have these words. Verse 3, knowing this verse, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they, willi they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standeth out of the water and in the water. Notice, people will say, where is the promise of his coming? There seems to be a delay of his coming. But you know also, in the Gospel of Mark and chapter 13, the Gospel of Mark and chapter 13, we read the Lord Jesus speaking about the day of the return of the Lord. And in Mark 13 and verse 32, we have these words. But of the day, of that day and that hour, knoweth no man, 
No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to each man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cockcrowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. You know, there needs to be a readiness for when the Lord is going to come back again. And there's going to be people that will not be ready when the Lord comes back. And we know in the scripture, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. There is a falling away. There's a falling away in the end times. From the living God. And we see, don't we, there's so much of a falling away all about us from biblical standards. From knowing the God of the Bible. In our day, all kinds of beliefs about what God is like. Even within the church. You know, we need to have a right perspective of who God is. That We often focus on the love of God, which is wonderful. I want to focus on the love of God all the time. And it's wonderful for us to do so. But the same writer, John, who said God is love, also said God is light. We need both um, understandings together in our thinking that we might have a right perspective of who God is. And not to be caught up with a falling away from God and from who he is into an, an image that we make into our minds or that other people have made for us. Let us get back to what the scriptures say. This is so important for us. Let us maintain what the Lord has said about himself in his word. That our practice might come out of a right knowledge of God in the Christian life. So getting back to Moses, we find that Moses was up in that mountain. And it speaks about 40 days and 40 nights. Num 40 in scripture is the number of testing. And Moses comes down amongst the people when they're not expecting him. Jesus is going to come back when people are not expecting him, by and large. So we need to get right with God. We need to be those that are ready uh, for his return. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? This passage of scripture in Exodus 32, how it speaks to us of the Lord Jesus. But it's also a challenge to us. Are we going to get into all kinds of images and, and icons and views and thoughts and, and understandings about who God is? Which are out of our own imaginations. Or are we going to be those who seek to come back to the word of God? Oh friends, if there's going to be a, a reviving in the church and I believe God 
does want to revive his church. I believe God does want to strengthen the saints. I believe God does want to pour out his spirit upon the church in order to equip us and enable us to be ready for the last days, to be able to stand in the last days. That there might be a move of God amongst the people of God. We need, if we're going to have a revival, we need to come back to a right view of God. And we need to know him for who he is. Brothers and sisters, I want to leave these thoughts with you, if I may. But before we do close, I just want to say this. When you look at men in the Word of God, who saw God, who had a true vision of what God is like, the response that they give is amazing. Let's just quickly look at Isaiah chapter 6 for a moment. As we come to a close, Isaiah chapter 6, just want us to see something here. Isaiah chapter 6, this is when Isaiah had the revelation of who God is. He says in verse 1, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. What was Isaiah's response to this revelation of God that came to him? He sees the Lord as high, as lofty, as lifted up, exalted. You know, this speaks of the exalted, glorious, lofty position of our God. The very God that has to look down to behold things in heaven. Friends, what an awesome God we have. How high is your view of God? What kind of perspective have you got of God? If your view is small, I suggest to you that you must have seen little of the God of the Bible because the word of God is replete with this revelation of God as someone who is high and exalted and lifted up and to be praised and magnified. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. This is the God of the Bible. He is high. He is mighty. He is glorious. This is, what the, this is the revelation that Isaiah was seeing. And then we see this theme of the holiness of God come into this revelation. And what we read in verse 3, that the seraphim, 
that stood above, as it were, were crying one to another. They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There is this matter of the holiness of God. He's high, he's exalted, he's holy, he's separate, he's different from us. God is spirit. God is great. God is mighty. Who is like the God of the Bible, dear brothers and sisters. He is holy. There's nothing impure in him. There's nothing unclean in him. He is absolutely radiant. He is bright. The seraphim bear testimony one to the other of the holiness of God that he is the thrice holy one. Oh friends, this is an aspect of the character of God that is so often missing from our worship within our churches, is it not? And I don't say anything to point the finger at anybody, but just by way of observation we see that we have known very little in our day of this aspect of his character that our God is a holy God. Be holy as I am holy. Oh friends, isn't that the cry of our hearts that we might be holy for the Lord is holy. You see, if we see that God is holy, it will change our attitudes as to the way we are to live, that we are to be separate from idolatry, from uncleanness, from impurity, from anything that defiles. We want to be separate from it. Why? Because God is holy and we want to be holy unto him. Oh, friends, shouldn't this be the desire of our hearts? Can't we see here in Isaiah 6 that this revelation is given as to the God that we worship, friends? Separate. There's not a spot in him of impurity. Absolutely pure, radiant and holy. Oh, shouldn't this cause us to have such a reverent attitude toward the God that we worship? Holy, 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 we read. In verse 3 and verse 4, the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. The presence of God is all around Isaiah. This is the scene, as it were, of an open heaven in the temple of God. Isaiah is witnessing something extraordinary, the revelation of the God that he worships. And what is his response to the revelation of God as given by God to Isaiah? He says this, woe is me. Woe is me. He says I am undone at the revelation of God. This man says, woe is me. The word woe from Hebrew means a lamentation. It's an alas, I'm undone. I've seen God. I've seen the king, is what he's saying. I have seen the king. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we may say of ourselves, well, I haven't really got unclean lips, but we compare ourselves with other people. But come to the reality of who God is. Bring up your cleanness in the light of the cleanness of God. And you will see there are many imperfections in our lives. And we need to come back to this revelation that God is holy, is awesome. There's nothing impure in him. Or let us see who he is. Because it's in the seeing of God that we begin to see of ourselves. We're undone. There's nothing of ourselves that is commendable to God. We're as it were falling before him. For his awesomeness and his glory and his purity and his majesty. And the seraphim that bear testimony to his holiness. Oh dear friends. When one has something of a vision of the living God, of the King of all kings, it brings us to the point where we say, woe is me. We say a lamentation. We bring ourselves to see the need to cry out to God for mercy. 
Lamentation speaks of a weeping over one's condition by someone. Isaiah was seeking, um, was a man who was um, uh, before God and in seeking the Lord, no doubt. I'm sure he was a man who was seeking God at this stage. But in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord. An amazing revelation was given to him. And we go on to see that he understands his own condition as unclean. As a man of unclean lips, he sees his own condition as a result of seeing the God of the Bible. How are we going to have conviction of sin? How are we going to be those that really mourn over iniquity? How are we going to be those that plead with God that we might get through with him more and more? If we don't have a revelation of the God as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. You see, dear friends, so much depends upon this. What kind of God do we believe in? Praise God that we read that one of the seraphim flew to Isaiah and laid um, tongs, live coals from the altar with the tongs upon Isaiah's mouth and touched his lips and his iniquity was taken away and his sin was purged. Amazing. And as we come to God, dear friends, do we not realise that though we have perhaps gone far away from the God of the Bible, as we come back to him and ask him to speak to us of himself through the scriptures by the Spirit, and we get conviction of sin by the Spirit, he is able to come. He wants to touch us. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to purge us. He wants to purify us. He wants us to be holy because he is holy. Oh, may the Lord so grab hold of our hearts. We read of Ezekiel having visions of God and being in the dust, as it were. We read of John having a revelation of the ascended, glorified Lord Jesus and being, as it were, down on the ground. Dear brothers and sisters, the revelation of God, of who he is, should bring us to our knees and cause us to worship, cause us to reverence, cause us to by the grace of God, come up from our knees and begin living lives by the power of the Spirit that are, in, um, that are compatible, that are right with worshipping the God as written in the Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, may we know God. May we know God. Let me end actually where I started. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy. What is your knowledge of God like, friends? Do you know him? Do you say with Paul that I might know him? Not only in terms of Simply believing that God exists, but in the knowing of who He is. 
It says here in this verse, the knowledge of the holy, holy, drawing attention to the fact that God is holy. We hope, dear friends, in coming weeks to look at various attributes of God. Dear friends, what an offence to God. What an offence to God. When as Christians, those who say we know him, try to adapt what the scriptures say about him to make him compatible with fallen man. What an insult to the Almighty. Oh, how far we have come from God. May God, in his mercy, bring us back to him and to the reality of who he is. Because who he is, is truly wonderful. Truly wonderful. I wouldn't change God. I'm the one that needs to be changed, not God. I'm the one that needs to be changed, not God. God is holy. God is awesome. God is majestic. God is faithful. God is love. God is light. God is pure, our God is unchanging, a God of justice and without injustice. Good and upright is the Lord. May it be, as we meditate upon the scriptures, that the Holy Spirit brings the truth of who God is to us. May we know the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. May, as God's people, in these days, may we come back to the God of the Bible. The Lord bless you and encourage you and stir your heart to get into the Word, to get to know the God of the Word. There's not, a most, there's not a more wonderful person in all the universe, in everywhere there is to be, than the Lord himself. God bless you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you help us. We pray that, Lord, even from my lips, you'd be pleased to touch somebody. You'd be pleased to touch someone with this word. May your name be glorified. Take from us anything that has been of myself and keep with us only that which is of you. We ask these things of you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.